Alright guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who have joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well, now this is about a bear hunt in the White Mountains of Arizona. And the client was from Wisconsin. So I met him at, <clears throat> at the airport. I think he come by plane, as I remember, and was bringing him to camp. <clears throat> so we had got his hunting licenses and got him all fixed up to where he was ready to go. And we had a camp made and had all the supplies in it and the cook and helpers and everything else and all ready to go. So I asked him, I said, uh, make conversation. I said, uh, have you ridden quite a little? Well, he says, I sure have. I said, well, have you rode in the mountains a lot? He said, I sure have. He said, now listen, I want to give you an, an understanding. He said, I can ride just as far, just as fast, just as long, and all that is you can over any kind of country. And I just kind of laughed a little, and I said, well, now listen. I said, you're talking to a man at his own game. I said, this riding and walking through the mountains and riding and going over all kinds of rough country and all, I said, that is my business. And I told him, I said, now I don't go up to a fellow that's a good rodeo hand and another one that maybe is a good farmer and another one that's a good rancher and handles cattle and just go up to them and tell them, say, well, I can do just as good a job at that as you can because I'd know good and well I wouldn't be telling the truth. And I said, uh, now, but I'll tell you one thing. You will get a chance to do this on this hunt and show me just how you can do it. And he said, okay, I'll show you. So, boy, now let me tell you, I poured it on him. And I had my my nephew, Ernest Lee's boy, uh, hunting, uh, helping me. And uh, we all called him Sonny. And he was my helper on that hunt. And this fella was always bragging about how he could shoot a bow. Well, the first day out, we treated good big bobcat, and it was pretty high in the tree, and of course it was pretty, wasn't too big a target up there, but he finally did hit it, but it took him four or five arrows. But he stuck an arrow through it, and it bled to death and fell out, and I told him, I said, well, now, a man that was a good shot with a bow ought to put that arrow right through that cat the first shot. Well, he didn't take very kindly to that. If he hadn't have been such a braggart, I wouldn't have said anything to him because he'd done all right. But I wouldn't tell him he did. 
So then in a few days, it got under my skin because he won $20 off of me. Not that I hated to lose the money so bad, but I hated for him to win it. We had a good bar race and lots of big trees there and all, and this bar went in a hole. And we got down there and got the dogs pulled back and tied them and got down there and he shot this bar in the hole. Well, the bar jumped around quite a lot, but after a while it died. And he said, uh, I put an arrow in that bear's heart. I said, you didn't do any such of a thing. He said, well, yes, I did. I said, no, nah, it lived too long be in his heart. No, it didn't. He said, I, I hit that bear's heart. And I said, well, I'll bet you $20 you didn't. He said, well, I'll call it. So I, I crawled in that hole where the bear was to put a rope on it, pull it out. And I found an arrow up there that is kind of didn't look just right. And I tried to get it out in that hole, but I couldn't get it out. So we pulled it out and gutted him. And you know, one arrow, it had no way here it went through his heart. But one arrow had clipped that heart. Plenty good enough that you could tell the arrow done it. And just enough for me to lose my $20. But anyway, well, in a day or so after that, I got a chance. And I really did pour it to him. And he finally got to hollering. And I'd have to stop. And let him get off and stretch his legs and rest. Because I just I wasn't really a hunting. I was just getting up and riding to show him he couldn't ride as far and as fast and over any kind of country as I could. And oh, after he went to hollering, I said, hey, I said, you can ride just as far, just as fast, just as long as I can. Well, he says, you know, says, I think I was mistaken. So we went on back to camp, and then the next day we went out there, and he wanted another bear. So he is going to pay more money if I'd furnish the bear tag and let him kill another bear. So I said, all right. So he gave, gave me a pretty good little chunk to furnish, to let him use my bear tag, which was really unlawful. But I done that anyway. And uh, we got after this bear and it went off into a a pretty good canyon there, and the dogs had it jumped, and they was really getting up and getting. And I was riding a big old, a good big black mule, and he was a real hunting animal. And I had him on a big old, mostly white, with a few spots on him, and you'd call him a paint, kind of a blue roan paint. And he was a real old horse. And if you'd sit up there and just kick him and let him go, now he'd keep up with an animal because he'd, he'd really follow him and stay right with him. And when we went off in this canyon, you had to jump logs and everything else. And I just spurred this old mule that I called Wimpy and hit him down the hind legs with a rope and off of there I went. And I jumped some pretty high logs and really did get off of there. Well, got to the bottom of the canyon, and I stopped to listen, and he and my nephew wasn't even in sight or anything, and my nephew was behind him, and after a while I heard him say to his nephew, 
Wonder where he went. Well, that nephew said, well, get out of the way, and I'll pick up his tracks and trail him up, and we'll find him somewhere. Said he probably won't run from off and leave us. And my nephew told him, says, I believe that he just done that to show you how fast you could stay up with him running over some rough country and riding because uh, he told me you told him that you could stay up with him in any kind of rough country a horseback. And he said, that old horse can stay right with that mule if you'll just get up there and, and encourage him a little bit and make him go. So I waited down there and heard him and this nephew trail me up. And I said, well, you guys come on and pick up speed because those dogs have got that bar jumped. And uh, after a good long race, well, we, they got out of here and then we got into hearing of them again. And then they got out of hearing and then we got to where we could hear them again. And they, they treed. And we got to them and they had a, they had a good bar treed. So we pulled our dogs back and tied them, and he went to poking arrows into that bar. And after about a half a dozen or maybe more arrows, well, he killed it. And so his, I think he was supposed to be on a 10-day hunt, and he had two bar and a bobcat in seven days. So we pulled around there for three more days and, and uh, never caught any more bobcats or bar with I didn't get out and try to I wouldn't get out and try to catch him any line but there wasn't too many lines right in that area but there was quite a few bobcats and bar we trailed some bobcats but we never did jump anymore and I hauled him back down and he went back to Wisconsin with his trophies and uh, I've never seen or heard of that guy again I don't know whether he's still alive or not, or anything about it. Well, this is about a hunt for Jaguar on the Yaki River in Sonora. And our guest was a young, one of our guests was a young fellow, probably, oh, I'd say just 35 years old, maybe between 36 or 7 or something in that order. And the other one was an old, Italian count, which was in his early 70s. And they were friends, so they lined up to come together. And what happened, uh, the old count was a winter in Tucson. And Blodgett came to Tucson for a vacation, and I don't remember now whether they knew one another before he came, but anyway, well, they got acquainted. So they decided to make them a, a, a jaguar hunt in Mexico together. And Blodgett, of course, was pretty young, and he was capable and a good sport. But the old Count Gardibasi was so doggone decrepit, and he is big and overweight, too, that we'd have to help him on and off of a saddle animal. And it was hard to try to get him around to get him to anything. But anyway, we... <clears throat> went to, to Hermosillo, Mexico, which is the capital of Sonora, which is 180 miles below uh, Nogales, the border there. And we come in, and then we turned east and went a little south and east for another, uh, for another about 
75 to 100 miles. I don't remember. It's been several years ago, and I don't remember the exact mileage. But it was a good long ways. To a little town of uh, Soyopa. And that was right on the banks of the Yaki River. <clears throat> and now this, this river was a pretty good-sized river. And it is, had a pretty good fall, and it would really roll when it got... And it would vary in how wide and how deep it was on how much it was raining on the, the headwaters. But anyway, well, there was an old fellow there that was an old Texan by the name of Coker. I don't remember his first name. His last name was Coker. And I always accused him of being outlawed out of Texas and going into Mexico because he'd been there for years. And he had... Uh, Married a Mexican woman there, and had raised raised a family. Had several boys, and they were all grown. So I know that he'd been down there for quite a few years. And I asked him one day. I said, "Say, what did you do anyway to have to come down here and stay?" Well, he never gave me a very good answer. He said, "Oh," says I, just liked it, which I. Of course, I didn't believe that exactly. But anyway, he was a great help to us, and he helped us get our men together that knew the country and our packers, and he helped us rent our pack animals and all that. In fact, he had a few animals there that he rented us himself. So we went down to the river to cross, and they had a pretty good-sized boat there. Well, we hauled all of our supplies and our dogs and everything across in the boat. And then we would come back and take uh, two animals at a time, or pack mules and horses, and uh, take them across by that boat, which was more satisfactory than swimming them across, because I had done that too. So we finally got them over there, and of course that all took time. So by the time that we... Got everything crossed that morning and got our packs on. It was getting way up in the day and we didn't make very far until it got dark and we hit a little stream of water. So we stayed there that night and then packed up as early as we could the next morning and uh, and got up into a canyon that run into the river there on the side that we had crossed to in a nice place and we made a camp. Well, we had just hunted two or three days. We had found some jaguar sign, but we hadn't found anything that we could really trail. But we did find a track or two that the dogs could bark on. So one evening, just about sundown, <clears throat> here rode a, a Mexican into our camp. And he had a note to give us from uh, old man Coker. So this is what the note said. It said a jaguar last night killed about a two-year-old steer down right straight across the river from where the canyon that you're camped in runs into the river, but across on the other side. It says now there was a Mexican coming down through there, and he found that kill, and, it, and he hurried to Soyopa, then turned around late that evening 
and came back, and he had an old six-shooter that wasn't in very good shape, and the Jaguar had came back and pulled that two-year-old steer up in kind of a, under a shelving rock, and that fellow slipped up there and looked around, and the Jaguar was eating on the, on the steer, and he pulled that, had his pistol in his hand, and he snapped it at him. And the gun didn't even go off. So he turned around then and went back to Soyopa and told the old man Coker, and the old man Coker's in another Mexican tire camp with that note. So Benson and I read it over. Benson was a helping me on that hunt. And I said, well, okay, we better go look at that. And it was late. I mean, it wouldn't in an hour be dark or less. I said, here's what we'll do. <clears throat> I said, if you don't, anybody doesn't want to swim that river at daylight in the morning is going to have to ride practically most of the night to get up to where that jaguar's got that kill by daylight in the morning. And uh, Benson says, well, I'll ride all night before I'll call, swim that river at any daylight in the morning. And several of the Mexicans, they wouldn't swim it either. And they said, well, now what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to swim her at daylight in the morning. I'm going to get a good night's sleep and get that river at daylight, and I'm going to swim it. And, the old, and Blodgett says, well, by golly, if you're going to swim that river, I'm going to swim it with you. I said, all right. And my old Felis, my old, most old Mexican that I'd brought up from Sinaloa, he said, well, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna to swim with you, too. So we're, so the rest of them, they left in just a little bit to go to Soyopa and cross with a boat and then come back up the river to where that, close to where that kill was. So early the next morning, we rolled out of there and Roger and I got on our mules and away we went and I had the dogs with me. I think I had eight hounds and old Phyllis, of course, he always walked. He never... He never rode very much. He's kind of like, Phyllis was kind of with me like the old Indian come riding along in his squaw walking. And this feller said, uh, why don't you let your squaw ride? This old Indian looked at him and said, huh, says she no got horse. Well, old Phyllis was better afoot and he didn't have any mule to ride. So we hit that river, and oh, it kind of rose during the night. It'd been raining up above, and I mean that—that that, of course it wasn't wide like the Mississippi River or something like that, but it was a rolling. It it was around two hundred yards wide, and it is deep out in that middle. We tied our saddle animals, and I walked down and fell to that water, and boy, it was cold. Well, I didn't want to look at the river anymore, so I just turned around, and I didn't know what I had figured on about swimming that river. We had some air mattresses there in camp, so I took the air out of one of these mattresses and tied it on behind my saddle. Well, when we got to that river, I had this air mattress with me, and I went down and blowed it up right good and tight. 
and jerked off my clothes, and Blodgett did his too, and Blodgett had a rifle, and I did too, and so we put all of our clothes, and old fellas took his off, and we tied them, the clothes and the guns, with a little rope to this uh, air mattress. We tied it on so if this air mattress did turn over, well, we wouldn't lose all of our stuff. And we tied it good. And I said, okay, boys, let's hit her. I said, one of you get on one side of this air, mat uh, air mattress and one on the other, and I'm going to get behind it. So we went up the river a long ways from where they were, because they, we could, they was there and had a big campfire built just about 50 yards from the edge of the river, and they were all standing around this campfire, and they had a big one built. <clears throat> I imagine that we was at least 300 yards, maybe farther than that, from where they were. So we hit it. And you know, I'm a, a, a chill hit me right in the top of the head just after we got out in that water and kind of went through me to my... To my feet, I, I might not have, I might have cramped if I hadn't had a hold to the end of that mattress. But I was uh, pushing with one hand and, and a pulling and a kicking with my feet, kind of got a little circulation going, and away we went. And when we come out, the river had carried us down to right close to where they were. We just jumped out and grabbed our clothes and run up to that campfire and put them on there at the campfire. And now these these hounds, six of them jumped in and tried to follow me right across, and some of them washed on down a ways in below where we did before they come out. And two of them, they wouldn't hit that river. they just run up and down it and bawl and squall, and they wouldn't come across. So I told them, uh, those two, I said, well, it'll be a while for, before you see us again because we're going to take these six, and if that Jaguar's been back to that kill tonight, we'll be leaving there. And you son of a guns will either have to swim that river or you'll have to stay there with the saddle animals or go back to camp. So all the, the kill wasn't over 200 yards from there. <clears throat> well, the... This Mexican that come up the, that came up with Vincent and them from Zoyopa to show us right exactly where that kill was, well, he hurried up there and looked at it and turned around and hurried back, and he said that jaguar come back and ate on that kill after I was there. So we knew probably that he came back and ate on it that night. And I said, boys, we're either going to catch that jaguar or we're going to have an awful race before it's over with. Because I knew those dogs could carry that track. So Blodgett, he'd left his mule across the, on the other side of the, the river, and I'd left mine. So we got one of those Mexicans to let Blodgett have his saddle animal, and I had to walk. So we hurried up to that kill, and these dogs picked it up right pretty fast, and they went to really bawling in the bellering, and they got lined out, and I got up there and found the track, and they were, far as I could tell, they were on the track 
that he had left out of their own, and that's what I wanted. So away we went. Well, when these other two dogs that was across the river heard those others bawling and the bellering, well, they just couldn't stand it. They'd rather hit that water than not be there on that race. So they jumped in, they swam across, and after a while, well, they caught up. Well, the best that I remember, the, they trailed that thing for about three hours. And most of the time we was in here, and of them, a part of the time we wasn't. But they jumped it, and it didn't run so very far, and it was a good big male jaguar, and they treed it. And we finally got to it, got blodged up there, and we killed that thing. And so we just gutted him and put him on one of those saddle animals and brought him back down to the river. And here's the way we crossed him over the river. We put him on that air mattress and tied him on and then took the air mattress across. And then we brought the air mattress back across and uh, had all of our clothes off. And we tied our guns and our clothes and everything back on the air mattress and took it back across. And then we were only about, I'd say, three miles from our main camp. Well, oh, Phyllis and Blodgett and I, we just took that Jaguar and put on one of these mules. And then Blodgett and I took turn about a walking and leading that mule. And, of course, old Phyllis is a foot all time anyway. And our, and our hounds, they crossed it back across better than they did early that morning. And we went on back to camp, and, and Blodgett had a, a fine, fine Jaguar trophy. Well, that old Count Gardabasi, we couldn't get him around. He couldn't ride to do no good, and he was big and heavy. And we'd just station him around and... Humor him around and leave him at places, and finally, well, we treat a line fairly close, and we come and got him, and he got a line trophy. Well, he had a camera and was taking all kinds of pictures, and once in a while, while well, we had one of us would be running his picture, and so Vincent kind of played a trick on Count Gardabasi. Because he took a picture several times of us helping him on his horse. Well, after we got back to Tucson and he got his films all developed and everything and then invited us over to this big bungalow that he and his wife had rented for the winter. He invited us over for a big dinner and a whole bunch of us and the showing of that movie. But when he showed the movie, he had all that cut out while we was helping him on his, on his horse, when he'd get up on his horse. But there was a place there where deer, this is, was quite a joke, where deer would come down to water. And he wanted to kill a deer, so a Mexican took him down there and uh, set him up against a tree right close to where the deer had come down to get a drink. And the old son of a gun leaned back there and got all comfortable, and he went to sleep. And this uh, Mexican boy had come up this tree right over him and was real still, 
and here come two deer and come right down right close to him and was a getting him a drink. And this Mexican boy looked down there and there he was asleep. And the deer right out in front of him. There wasn't over 50 yards. So he dropped the limb on his head to wake him up. And he woke up and he jumped all around when he seen those deer and he scared them and they run off and he didn't get a shot at them. So after a while, they came on back to camp. And of course, he didn't tell us what happened, but he said he saw two deer. And this Mexican boy then told us about him leaning back against that tree and going to sleep on that stand and letting the deer walk right down there and get a drink and then never getting a shot at him. And that was, uh, that was really funny. Well, that is all we got on that hunt. We got the old count of line and we got Blodgett, a good male jaguar. Now, this Steve Blodgett was a cousin of Franklin D. Roosevelt, our president. So then we had to pack up and go back down and cross the river in the boats again and get her, get her uh, trucks and things and load it up, and we pulled back to Tucson then, and it was... Uh, that was another hunt that turned out pretty good. Well, now, this is happened many years ago when Clell when and I were hunting for the, well, you'd say the government, but it was the old biological survey. And we were hunting for the state of New Mexico. Now, the way we would be paid, the federal government paid us one month, and the state of New Mexico paid us the next. They they took turnabout paying us. So we were camped right close to, to the southern end of that Hickorya Indian Reservation, which to the north, it borders Colorado there for quite a few miles. And it was a big reservation. And uh, the Indians run sheep and cattle, mostly. And they farmed a little bit, but those Apaches weren't too much farmers. So... We hadn't, didn't have too much that month, so we decided that we would uh, take a, a couple of little Mexican ponies there that were going little son of a guns, but they were small horses, but they were rugged. And we got these people that we were camped in an old cabin right close to their ranch that they owned, and we got them to take care of our extra dogs that we left. So we pulled out early that morning, and we rode a long ways, and finally late that evening we came to an old sawmill site that had been abandoned for several years. Well, I guess that they used it for a bake oven or something, because we found a big built out of uh, kind of dobies. That meant clay and dirt and stuff, and it was pretty good sized around, and so we got in there, and then there was a hole in the top, so we built us a fire right in the middle, and then we got around back against the wall to be kind of warm, and got most of our dogs in there to stay all night. We had a little stuff to eat with us, and a little dog feed, and a little grain for our horses, but we all went on real slim rations, 
because we couldn't pack that much and ride those poor little old horses too. So we stayed in there that night. It wasn't very comfortable, but we managed to sleep a little. Well, we rolled out of there early the next morning and was still making a circle, and we got onto that Indian reservation, which it didn't make any difference. And, uh, oh, I imagine along about somewhere around noon, the dogs hit a right fresh bobcat track in the treaty. And uh, we were supposed to kill them bobcats too, so we killed it and skinned it and just tied the hide on one of her saddles, and we went on. Well, in about two hours, about two o'clock, we hit the tracks of two lines that the dogs could run it pretty good. And we trailed those two lines till after dark. And we got our dogs off, and we got out in a little swale and into a little place where the snow had kind of melted off, and it wasn't quite as cold as it was back up higher there where that old sawmill had been. So we built us a fire, and we just took the bridles and put over the horses' heads and took the bits out and was feeding them a little grain. And, of course, we was both tired. And Clell told me, he said, Now you watch those horses so we can tie them with a rope when they finish that grain, and we'll tie them. He said, uh, Now you watch them. I said, All right. Well, I was sitting there, and by golly, I dozed off. And I woke up, and there the bridles laid, and both of these horses is gone. But the moon was a-shining good. And boy, I woke old Clell up, and I said, our horses are gone. Well, one of them was a little old stallion. And they were hard to catch in the crowns, things. And there were a lot of wild Indian horses running on that reservation. And, of course, he was just a raising old cane with me about going to sleep and letting those horses get away. And there we were miles from camp, and our saddles were laying there and all if we had to walk back. So we run down into a little swale there, and we could trail them right, in the, right along. And they'd found some grass there, and those little old horses were so tired that we just walked right up to them. Ordinarily, we couldn't have done that. Well, we caught them and brought them back and tied them good and shivering around that fire all night. Well, the next morning we got up, and we took those tracks of those two lines right then, and we started. Well, just about 11 o'clock that day, well, we trailed into a deer kill, and the, the hounds in a little while jumped one of these lines and treated it, and we went back and we finally worked that other track out, and they jumped his other line in just a little ways and treed it so we had two lines. So we, instead of uh, skinning them, we wanted the meat for a hound, so we each took a line on our saddle. It was an old female and a pretty good-sized young one. The young one was probably close to a year old or maybe a little older. And there's both females, which is not too heavy. And we put both put one on one side and one on the other. And just as it's getting dark, we rode back into our camp. But I laughed. We was riding along, passing by a little, some little Indian huts there. And 
an old Indian walked out and walked up and stopped us and looked at us and he said, sounded like Apache. And Clell said, Apache. That old Indian says, yeah, yeah. Well, turned around to me and says, you didn't know I could talk Apache, did you? I said, no, I didn't. And now the minute that old Indian said something else to him in Indian, and I looked at him, I said, well, answer him. Well, he didn't know what he said that time, but he pretty well knew that the old Indian told him that we was on an Apache reservation, and that's what he told him. And so I said, well, answer him. Well, he said, I don't know what I'm going to say to him now. But anyway, the old Indian couldn't talk English, and we just laughed and rode on. Well, we finally got back to camp way in, way after dark and took care of our poor little old horses. And what I mean, they were really rode, and they were sure tired. And we fed them and tied up our dogs, and we fed them first. Then we went in and built us a fire in our stove and got us something and we were hungry too and got us a pretty good feed and went to bed and what I mean we didn't have to be in that bed very long until we was really sleeping. Well we slept in the next day because we was so doggone tired and all that and we didn't go out the next day but that was quite a hunt folks. And that's the things you got to go through if you're really going to be a successful line hunter. You've got to take hardships right along. If you don't, you might catch a few, but you won't be really a successful line hunter if you won't get up and put out the work. And I have seen lots of these boys, that so-called line hunters, that wouldn't do that. And they didn't have too much luck here all the time when they were hunting. Well, this Fred Hollander that had already got him that line there that was treed before he got off the train, well, while he was there, he lined up a jaguar hunt. <clears throat> and he told Ernest, he said, Ernest says, I've hunted and been in on, on six jaguar hunts down there with this so-called jaguar hunter and his name was Ben Tinker, and all he was was just a promoter because he wasn't no hunter. He said, now I went with Ben Tinker six times, and I've got a little stuff with him, but I've never got a Jaguar, and that is the main thing I wanted. And he said, I've been into Mexico with him on six hunts because I didn't know anybody else to go with. And he said, I want to line up for a Jaguar hunt with you boys. So I don't remember how long it was after his lion hunt <clears throat> until his jaguar hunt was due. But anyway, well, we went into Sinaloa, Mexico. Now that was quite a ways down. See, some, that's a state, and it, it's not too wide, but it's long. And so it's Sonora Long State. Well, now, Sinaloa is the next state below Sonora. And Sonora, you go into it when you cross the border. Well, we went down and took all that, everything down for about 600 miles by train. 
and Pancho Ferreira was more or less our Mexican partner down there, and he met us at the train with his trucks and all, and we went 40 miles back there to San Ignacio, where we was going to get her pack outfits and pack back. Well, Ernest had told me before I left, said, well, now listen, says, he's hunted jaguars so much. If you catch him a jaguar and it's a pretty small one, says, try to get him a good trophy. And he was standing there uh, hearing this, and he come to me and he said, now listen, Dale, says, I will take a jaguar of any size. He says, if he's not over three feet long. I'll take him and be tickled to death because, he said, I've hunted over lots of the world and I've killed lots of trophies. But he said, I've never got a jaguar and I want one. So we went down and got there to saw you open, got our big pack outfit, and we packed way back there in the mountains. I think it's a two-day pack trip. And right, I'd hunted in that country before, but right in there, I hadn't been in there. And uh, Pancho kept a telling me that back in that country there that he was always getting the reports of two jaguars running in a certain area there. And they told him that one of them was an extra big jaguar for Mexico. So I think it was maybe the third or fourth, fifth day, something like that, of the hunt. And we had found a female jaguar strike and trailed it around, but we hadn't never found any sign of this male jaguar. Well, that morning, before too long, we picked up this fresh track of this female jaguar, and away they went. He said, well, a female will be fine for me. Well, somewhere along the on that track, those dogs switched off from that female and took after this and hit the tracks of this big old male and they just switched and took after him. Probably the reason why the, the male's track was the freshest. And after about, oh, I'd say two hours, they bayed in a bluff. Now, it wasn't just a straight up and down bluff. It was kind of ledgy. And as we come up to the foot of that bluff, well, here come those hounds right off of there. And uh, it wasn't right straight up and down, but real steep. But the dogs could run off of it, but they didn't have no show of getting back. And let's see, we had, I guess, five hounds and one of them wire-haired terriers. Well, the terrier was with us. No, we had six hounds. And he put five of them off of that bluff, but one of them stopped and kind of humped up, and he didn't jump off and run off of that rock. And looking back, a barking. And that meant that the jaguar didn't put him off, so the jaguar turned and went back up through those ledges. So I got Hollander there, and we went to climbing up through these cracks and these ledges, and we got up there over a pretty good... It was quite a ways to the ground, and I got a hold of a, a little old bit of a tree and some grass and pulled myself up over a ledge. And he was a much heavier man than I was, and he grabbed up and 
and got a hold of this same little tree and that grass, and as he is, he is pulling himself up, well, it get, gave it gave way, and there he went right on his belly, and he hit right at the top of this bluff, and it was it is he'd have fell twenty feet or more right on his belly, and he forked a tree and got stopped, and that scared me, and I said, well, by golly, Fred, that is a Hurt you and maybe it kills you if you'd have went off there. Well, he said, you know, says, I, I knew that tree was there. And if I did, if that thing, that little tree and grass did pull up, he said, I knew that I'd fork that tree and get stopped. So I got him on up a ways and he went to getting tired and try, trying to give out, climbing up through those ledges. And these hounds had got with this jaguar and was obeying it. And they went around, the, I thought they went around the point there from us. And of course, I was trying to hurry him and telling him what dangerous it was to those hounds. And he said, listen, he said, you go on after them. And if we can't free that thing and it's a, a butchering those dogs up, he said, by golly, you kill him. He said, because I don't want to see those dogs tore all the ribbons. So as I got out here, stood this little knoll there, and I thought they was on the other side of it, and I just went plumb around it, and they wasn't. And they were back on the same side there was before, and I'd missed them and didn't hear them. And now in a minute I heard Parade say, Tire is kill him. Parade had come up there with Hollander then, and, said, and boy, I heard old Hollander say, Bang! And I stepped out to go around, uh, I was just behind a little point there, a little point of rocks, and I stepped out on a little old trail to go around to them, and here that jaguar was coming right along that trail and the dogs obeying him. And I jumped behind that little point of rocks and just stood there, and that jaguar passed in four or five feet of me, and the dogs all around him barking, and went off off the hill, down towards the canyon there, where there was some trees. And I run right along by, right along with them, and I was, uh, that's one time I was encouraging them. And I was uh, saying, get them, get him. And this little old wire-haired terrier, he'd been a, he'd been a catching him, but by golly, he was a getting a little leery of him. And he hit the bottom of that canyon, and he run up a little old leaning tree. And he didn't go up over about 15 feet. And he turned around on on that leaning tree and faced back down. And I went up fairly close to him and stopped. I didn't want to jump him out. And they came on off of the hill and got down, and I imagine they were 75 yards from the Jaguar, and I was probably 25 yards. And just as low as I could, I said, uh, Hollander, can you kill that thing from there? Because I think he's going to come out, and I'm not going to let him come out. Because these dogs are done for, and a bunch of them are hurt, and all that. And if he comes out and makes another run, we're liable not to get him. And he said, yeah, I can kill him. So I said, how about me helping you? He said, good enough. So I raised my gun, and he raised his, and... Pull the trigger, well, he hit him, but I 
full of mine too, and we both hit him. And when he come out, he was dead. Well, now that little white and red spotted hound was about the best jaguar dog in the bunch. And that thing had broke some of her ribs. And she is still after him. And a whole bunch, nearly all of them was cut up. And this little old wire-haired terrier, well, he was, I couldn't tell that he has cut up much, but no doubt that he'd been bounced around by those feet because he was pretty leery, and I never thought anything would make those little old dogs back up. So we packed that jaguar on in then and hung him up and took some pictures of him, and he, and that was the biggest jaguar that I have seen in all of Mexico. So that was a doggone good trophy, and I kind of blamed it on the Hollander because he said he would be willing to take any size, just so it was something that he could skin and take back and call a jaguar. And he got the, the biggest jaguar that I've seen in Mexico. And we packed on back to San Ignacio, and his hunt was over. Well, now this is a this is quite a funny stunt that I pulled. Now I was married at one time, and I was a, a living with this gal that I married, and I, we were in Tucson there, and I was a, a going out and hunting for bounty around there and doing pretty good, and the gal that had stood up. For her, when we got married, was always a telling me every time she saw me, bring me a, bring me a lion cub for a pet. I want a pet mountain lion. So we got over there in those Santa Rita mountains and treed this cub, but it wasn't no little bitty lion. It was probably five or six months old. So an old boy and I roped that thing and tied it, and I brought it into Tucson there tied in a run and got this wife of mine and I said, come on, let's take this cub down to Edie's. That Edith Stoner was her name and we called her Edie. And uh, it was then about nine o'clock at night. So we drove down there and there was a light on. So walked up to the door and it was just a small outfit, a little living room and a bedroom and bathroom and a kitchen. A little small kitchen is all it consisted of. Knocked on the door and saw that she was going to open the door. So I just had this little line on my shoulder, so I just slipped it off and got it in my hands. And when she opened that door, I just stepped in the door and just slid that line right in. Well, it went right about out in the middle of the room. Well, that little old lion was a ringing his tail and a throwing its head around, a squirming and a growling. Well, she screamed and ran in the kitchen. Her boyfriend, the Zardasir, he he hollered and run the bedroom. But the funny thing about it was they had a one of these small cocker spaniel dogs, and he just made all kinds of noise and screamed. And he jumped up on the divan, and he tried to climb the wall. And he knocked a bunch of pictures down that is framed and had glass, and glass just broke and flew every direction. 
And oh boy, that little old dog, he just almost had a heart attack because he just tried to climb the walls and he went to messing around and he just messed all over the front room. And then finally he run into the kitchen and he just messed all in there and got in a corner and just sat there and just shivered and shook. And boy, I really did laugh. I said, well now listen, Edith, there's your pet lion. I said, now you can turn him loose in here anywhere you want him. I said, you can turn him loose in the bedroom or in the kitchen or in the living room here. But I said, I suggest that you put him in the bathroom. I said, now, if you want me to, I'll take it in the bathroom and turn it loose for you. Or I said, or you can turn it loose. And I said, I'm sure that if you spend enough time with it, that you can finally tame it. I said, it's not very tame right now. It's just tied up today. And I said, now, it's getting late. And I said, I've been a, going a long time before daylight this morning. And I said, I'm a little bit tired. So I think I'll go on back and go to bed. And I said, I'll see you in the next day or two and see how you're getting along with your pet. And she said, and I turned around like I was going to walk out the door. And oh boy, she throwed a fit. Said, uh, you get that thing out of here. Said, I'm going to call the law. I'm going to call the police. I turned around and looked at her. I said, well now, Edie, that is your a fine thing. You've asked me for the last month or two, every time I saw you, to bring you a pet mountain lion. So I brought you a pet mountain lion. And there it is, laying right there on the floor. And I said, you don't appreciate things very much if you don't appreciate the work and all that I went through to bring you that pet. Well, if you don't take it, I'm going to call the law. I'm going to call the police. Then I'm not going to get close to it. I said, well, I don't believe that your dog's going to either. I don't think your dog's going to hurt that little lion tied there. And a little old dog was still in the kitchen in the corner, just a shaking. So I just said, all right, either. You don't appreciate anything. So in that case, I'll just take my line and leave. So I just walked over and picked it up and put it on my shoulder and walked out the door put it in the pickup, and away I went, and then I took it out and turned it loose and put it in the cage. And uh, But then, from then on, every time I've seen her for a long time after that, oh, she was raising old cane about cleaning up her apartment, and also about how she had to have a lot of those pictures, buy new frames, and put those pictures in because... It broke all the glass out of those pictures, that little dog, when he clung the walls from the back of the divan. So I told her one day, I said, well, Edie, by golly, you just can't satisfy people. No matter how good you are to them or what great favors you do for them, well, then they holler about it and they don't appreciate anything. And that was, that was really comical. And I really got a big kick out of it. But it didn't take the lead, a dog gone